Well, last week we started a new sermon series, How to Love Your Neighbor in a Divided World, and we talked about even when we don't like the place that we are, uh, how do we get to a place where we long for the betterment of the city that we're in? We long to pray for it uh, and want the best for it. And so today we uh, move into another topic, uh, one that I think we have a lot of strong feelings about. I think you can't help but grow up in our communities and love the word freedom. Everybody love freedom? It's kind of baked into us, right? Uh, and so uh, freedom is a word that gets used a lot. Uh, but freedom comes with responsibility, and freedom is also very dangerous. And so I think every entrepreneur or business person knows a little bit about how freedom can be dangerous. You think of an entrepreneur who's, who's launched a new business. They're, they're doing everything themselves. And then they get so big that they can't do everything themselves, and they have to hire somebody. And suddenly, it's really hard to give over a little bit of your business baby to the other person. Are you going to micromanage them? Are you going to actually not actually get any benefit of having another employee because you're going to do their work and your work? Or are you going to let some of it over? And for parents, uh, when you've got little kids and you give them scissors for the first time, you're giving them freedom to create, but also it's really scary. Because what if they cut their own hair? What if they cut their clothes? What if they cut the couch? Whatever it might be, it's fearful. It's a scary moment to give somebody else freedom. And that freedom has to just get a lot harder when it's handing someone keys. Uh, and they're going to drive wherever they want to drive. They're going to have the responsibility of that expensive vehicle. Uh, there's this giving of freedom that's really hard to do. Because we all want our own freedom. But giving freedom to other people, to the neighbor, is really tough. And so today, you're going to be invited to do something that your spirit doesn't want to do. You're going to be invited to stop prioritizing your own freedom and instead trust that by expanding freedom, by expanding your love to others, that that will ultimately be better for you. And this is a hard task because when it comes down to it, we love giving ourselves all of the freedom. And so we're going to be reading from a text. It's coming from Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia. And he's writing to them in the midst of a, a tug of war of sorts between some more authoritarian figures who are coming in and leading the community and maybe some people who are very libertarian of like, don't tell us what to do, we can do whatever we want. And so he's writing in the midst of this tug of war. And so I'm going to read for you the text today from Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. The word of the Lord. Now, you might not hear the tone of Paul in that text. And so I've got to give you a little bit of context, because Paul is coming in a little heated in this letter. Uh, when Paul writes letters, he usually says who's writing the letter, Paul, maybe a friend, another person. We write this letter to the churches in Galatia, or wherever it might be. And then usually his next step is he thanks that community for something. He thanks God, he thanks that community. And in Galatians, he thanks God, 
And the part where he would usually thank the community, he says, like, I am astonished at you. Not for good reasons. He is very heated throughout this text. Now, what's just been happening in Galatians 5 is Paul has been addressing the fact that there's been outside teachers who have come into this community. So Paul created these churches in Galatia. He moved on to other places to, to be in his missionary work elsewhere. And then other people have come along and added to what you need to do to be the church truly. So Paul went to these uh, Gentiles, these non-Jewish uh, new believers, and told them, you believe in Jesus, follow Christ, and talked to them about how to be the church. And then other people came around and said, wait a minute, you got to follow the whole law. And so one of the sticking points to that, as you could imagine, if you're a man, you might understand the sticking point to this, is that you needed to go through circumcision to become a full member of the church and to be a full part of the Jewish faith. And Paul is continually very frustrated by these people who want to create this requirement that everybody has to live by these rules. And so the authoritarian desire is, I like my own freedom, but I want to make sure everybody else has to live under this certain rule. Everybody else needs these commandments. Everybody else needs these things. And there's plenty of news stories about people who did not live the walk. Right? They told other people they had to live out these things, and their life was nothing like it. But Paul was very heated, I told you. So right, if you want to just enjoy yourself, go read Galatians 5, the beginning of the passage later today. And he's talking about these people who want to go and add these requirements on everybody. And he says, okay, if you love circumcision so much, why don't you go a little further and castrate yourselves? He's pretty serious. And so on the one hand, Paul says, stop putting all of this burden on everybody. You're throwing all of these rules and requirements and all of these extra things, and it's burdening everybody. Stop it. But he also has to deal with the other extreme. And he has to say, okay, yeah, but, but that doesn't mean you just do whatever you want. There's consequences to that. And so he's constantly walking this tightrope. And so most of us don't have the authority and the power to suddenly put a burden on everybody with a, ton, a bunch of rules, though we still try. You all know the person of your family unit or your friend circle or your employment that is always trying to force your way of life onto everybody else. But most of us live through life wondering how do we navigate uh, things from a different vantage point. And so I think Paul's word here that we read from is instructive for us. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. That's a great rallying cry. Uh, I don't know if you want to launch your William Wallace uh, movie clip with, you know, freedom. Uh, you can launch into our excitement around the fact we love to be free. Uh, we love to be free at least as long as our Declaration of Independence, which enshrined liberty as one of those three inalienable rights. We, we love freedom. But Paul has a warning for us. You have freedom, but do not use it for self-indulgence. This is one of the simple teachings of our faith that will spend your whole lifetime trying to mature and develop yourself to live this out right. Because when you get freedom, you want to do stuff for yourself. Ah, let me, let me indulge myself. And we are so grateful for the freedom that comes in Christ. But Paul's saying, don't use that freedom just for your own good. 
Why? I mean, I kind of want to just help myself, right? I mean, it feels like that'll make me feel good. But Paul gives a reason. He's going to have some, some reasons. The stick version of this, the consequence version, is why should you not self-indulge? Well, if you do, beware, because you're going to bite and devour one another. You're going to eat each other alive. Because if we all want things our own way, we are going to keep clashing and keep clanging. And we all know this feeling. When you're in a group, let's say you had a group project in school or in a work environment, and if you all have very strong senses of opposite kinds of ways to handle your project, it's going to be a nightmare because you're constantly battling through it. And so if we all want our own freedom in the way that we just want to puff up ourselves, our own preferences, our own ways of liking things, our own ways of doing things, it's going to lead to a never-ending battle because we're all in it for ourselves. And so we all can imagine moments in our lives where people have done that, where we think about our own preferences more than others. And I think about like just living in the divided world, if we just want to be real, of like, it would not have been uh, fun for anybody who works in retail environments, especially in the last few years of the pandemic. The poor souls who are getting paid not enough to deal with frustrated uh, people walking into their business. Listen, my business said you've got to put a mask on to come in. Listen, yelling at me does not make a difference. Why do you have to keep yelling at me? <laughs> It's one thing for you to want your own personal freedom, but like, why are you going to bite and devour everybody in your path to get your self-indulgence? We've lived this story for so long, and it hurts. But what's hard is we recognize it in other people. When they bite and devour, we don't recognize as often when we bite and devour. When our self-indulgence causes others frustrations and challenges. I don't know if you've heard of the illustration of the crab bucket. There's this story of like you put a, a bucket out and you put a crab inside the bucket. The crab has no difficulty crawling out of the bucket. They're good at climbing. They'll get right out. You put more than one crab in the bucket and suddenly there's no lid needed anymore. They can't crawl out. And you're like, well, why, why couldn't you crawl out if, if one can crawl out? The entire time one's trying to climb, the others are doing the same thing and they keep pulling each other down. And so no matter what they try, they just keep devouring each other, and nobody gets free because they're all trying to get free. And it's used as an illustration for the fact that in our own social circles, that there are certain people, like maybe you grew up in a, in a, in a family that was in a, having a lot of dysfunction, and you're trying to get free, but the family doesn't want you to get free. The dysfunction system wants to hold you back down. Same is true of neighborhoods, of certain work environments, of just, you're like, I would love to be in a better, healthy situation, but the environment just keeps devouring, it keeps pulling down. And if we let self-indulgence win, this is always the product that comes out. And so, for so many of us, like, freedom's a great thing, but if what we mean when we're shouting about freedom is, I want to just do what I want with no consequences there's going to be consequences. And we're not going to want to live in that world. And so Paul invites us to something that feels like it's a hard pill to swallow if you really want your own way. Instead of using your freedom for self-indulgence, Paul says, but through love become enslaved to one another. 
Anybody want to just willfully choose enslavement? Like, that doesn't seem like a fun choice. I want the self-indulgent choice, right? That, this is the heart of the challenge of this kind of text. Of what is it to, in freedom, choose to commit ourselves to one another? To be committed to the neighbor, the one that maybe you disagree with, the one that maybe you just have a hard time loving. Like, what is it to be committed to one another and not just to myself? And so, why would we do that? Well, Paul is getting into that argument he's been dealing with, with the law. He's like, okay, if you want to follow all the rules of the law, why don't you go a step further? But here's the deal. If you want to follow the law, let's just start with virtues and not rules. If you live out the virtue of love, you'll follow the law because the heart of it is about love. Whether it's in the Old Testament or in Jesus' words, we continually hear, if you want to follow the law, love God, love your neighbor. And it all boils back down to that. And so what is sin? Sin is not loving God rightly, not loving your neighbor rightly. And so Paul says, through love become enslaved to one another, for the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. All of that pull for self-indulgence, can you put that same kind of love into the other person in your life? Can you love them so well that you want their indulgence? You don't want your own. That you, you love your neighbor so much that you're going to enslave yourself to, I want a better community, I want a better family, I want a better work environment. I'm going to work for a place where love reigns, not pride, not selfishness, not jealousy, not comparison. And so maybe we could get out of that crab bucket. Stop trying to just pinch the other person as they're getting out. Maybe we can want the freedom of the person next to us, not just our own. And of course, this is central to all of our faith. This is not like a tangential topic. I love another place, which I'm going to read for you. Paul tells a, a beautiful telling of Christ's story. It's called the Kenosis Hymn, if you want the fancy language. Uh, but in Philippians chapter 2, um, he talks about this topic before he goes into this hymnic material. But he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, being, being found in human form, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The weird upside-downness of God's kingdom is that in emptying of self, we might pour out our love for others, we might serve others, and trust that we can let God exalt in the end. We don't have to exalt ourselves. And so Jesus modeled this sacrificial love. Think about the, the Last Supper. He walks in, he's like, I'm going to wash your feet. 
And remember, most of us would be like Peter, like, Jesus, you're too important to wash our feet. That's the servant's job. That's the slave's job. But if you're going to be enslaved to one another in love, you kneel down and say, let me wash your feet. And it takes that humbling moment to realize that we're not supposed to be about self, selfish seeking for ourselves and self-interest. But how can I make a difference in the lives of those around me? How can I pour out my love for those around me that they might see how God sees them, that they might see that they're worth more than the world tells them that they're worth? And so, ultimately, God exalts Jesus so people might confess and might kneel before that model that this way of life is the one that is victorious, this way of life is the one that brings about love and healing and life. It's a one that follows sacrificial love for one another. And so I think about what that looks like for us. It doesn't have to be these big, huge moments in your life. It can just be small moments in your life. Um, we have been going through a transition. Our uh, custodian's last day was, like I think, last Friday. Uh, and there's been a lot of people who've stepped up to take on other tasks that don't necessarily make you feel great, that don't necessarily uh, make you celebrated. But, um, you know, we have our Wednesday dinners, and so we've got chairs moving back and forth. And so Burnley helped move chairs in here, and Troy last week was helping moving chairs out there, and we made it work, you know? But it's not like moving chairs makes you feel good. You know, and uh, Sue on Friday, you know, she's got all of her tasks that she does, but suddenly she's cleaning door windows and vacuuming some, some rugs and um, trying to make the place a little bit more inviting for the next person that walks in the doors. You know, and we're sweeping and mopping, and I know, I'm sure Logan and Scott did a bunch of, of fun tasks uh, last night probably, right, of cleaning and, and making the place look better, but it's not because it makes you feel any better. You're trying to make the place feel better for somebody else. Think about everybody on Wednesdays who come to make this place inviting for our community, who makes it inviting for a night out for dinner. Think about um, John and Eve coming in and helping set up, and, and Logan and Mary often being here helping get food ready, and all the volunteers pouring in uh, to make that night happen. It's not because suddenly you look amazing, you're an awesome person, but it's just, I want other people to know that they're loved. I want someone who walks in, who maybe nobody looked at them that day, maybe nobody recognized them, maybe nobody talked nicely to that person that day, but you know what? They deserve to be treated with love, and I want to do my part for that. And that's the difference between the path of self-indulgence and the path of sacrificial love because there's a lot of like more fun things to do than some of those little small tasks man i love watching an extra game love playing some video games or whatever it is watch another movie whatever thing we want to indulge in and you have to make a decision like i want to do that thing right now or i'm going to help somebody else and i think part of why spiritual life is challenging in our current age is we have all these competing things for our time and our attention, things that want our, our money, want our presence, want our you know, focus. And it is hard to turn down your own kind of desires that just are only going to feed yourself. 
But if we want to change the world, if we want to make the world a better place, one that's not devouring each other, one that's not hurting each other, one that doesn't just keep throwing harm back and forth, we have to take the moment, take the time to say yes to God and to put your knee, knee down. You know, kneel before Jesus, confess Jesus as Lord, and say, I'm going to just recognize that I'm choosing in my freedom to follow you, God wherever you lead me. Maybe God's the orchestrator of that crab bucket and saying, okay, this crab gets out next. But I want to get out next. Let them go. Let them be free. And then Everybody ends up getting a turn, but it's through submission to the One who made us, the One who created us, so that we might live in this world in harmony. I love that part of Paul in Philippians, you know, that we might have the mind of Christ, that we might have one mind together. And in a world so divided, it's hard to ever imagine that. That continues to be our hope. And so if you want to love your neighbor, we can't just only self-indulge. We can't just only feed ourselves at the expense of the other. Because we are bound to one another, even when we don't want to be. We still have those neighbors. God gave us those neighbors for a reason. And so, we can choose to keep fighting and devouring one another. We can choose to keep self-feeding. Or we can choose another way. Commit to love. And the beauty of our faith is that commitment is not done alone, but it was modeled in Jesus. That We already know that God walked this path. He does not call us to something He was unwilling or uninterested in doing for himself. And so if you don't want to give something up and you're like, ah, it's so hard to love. I don't want to serve that person. Think about how much God has given you. Maybe it might be just something of meaning to you to just imagine Jesus washing your feet this week. And you might be like, I need to clean my feet before I let him wash my feet. But what is it to humble yourself? Say, hey, not my thing. Let, I'm going to make my thing be about what God wants for me what Jesus wants. So the best thing that you can do for yourself ultimately ends up being doing something for those around you. Because that makes the better world. And you get to enjoy the fruits of that world that God's already making right now. So would you join me in prayer? Lord God, we ask that you might turn our spirits because naturally we always seem to want to benefit ourselves. We want to pray for our needs before others. And Lord, just give us a heart for the world around us. Give us a heart for our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our family, uh, the people around us that are easy to love as well as the ones that are a struggle for us to love. And Lord, I ask that as you turn our spirit, our hearts, our vision more in line with you, that you might renew our strength, that we might be able to live uh, out your calling and your service, not begrudgingly, but as a free choice to live out of love. That we might be excited to choose you. That we might be grateful to choose you. Lord, we need You so much. We need Your Spirit 
your harmony, your unity. And Lord, we need your humility. Teach us. Reshape us. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.